Hello and welcome to Glitch Cube. We're a gaming podcast, and each week we take a deeper look into the art of video games. As always, I'm Christian. And I'm Chris. And welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us in another fun and exciting episode. Last week, we went and celebrated our 100th episode. Yay! So exciting. Uh, but the week Yay. before that, we did actually start our philosophy into Bioshock. So we are going to be continuing on with that. For those of you who have not listened to it, I highly recommend it. But for this episode, we are going to be diving in specifically to Bioshock 2 and maybe a little bit of Bioshock Infinite. Whereas in the first episode, it was all about Bioshock 1 and the philosophy behind that. Now, these games surprisingly have a lot of philosophy in them. There's a lot going on and it is pretty interesting to see. Maybe a little less than three, but you know, there's a lot of issues with three with the development and all those kind of other weird things that popped up during the making of that one. But I figured maybe before we dive into Bioshock 2, we just give a quick rundown of the first one. Just give people a little frame of reference, maybe a little gentle reminder of what we kind of discussed briefly. Now, the first Bioshock, we are introduced to Rapture. Rapture is the basically the safe haven for anyone to do whatever they want. Anyone that wants to protect or practice the idea of obje objectivism. But I'm fumbling already. Here we go. <laughs> so objectivism for those of you who might not know or remember is basically <clears throat> do what you want that's really what it boils down to whatever you want to do whatever you want to pursue go and do it don't worry about the greater good don't worry about how community or the society might view things you pursue your goals you are the main character of your story and that's all that matters and the first Bioshock relied heavily on Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand is a real life philosopher who kind of was the, I would say the mother of objectivism. She really brought it to light with books like Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Shrugged is a great example of objectivism and how it can be glorified to a certain extent. Now, Bioshock takes it to a very dark area <laughs> where it shows the negative effects of objectivism, how it can be taken too far, and how someone's psychosis can lead to the destruction of a wonderful idea. Because the idea behind Rapture is very interesting, and I would say it was beneficial at, to a certain extent, right? They were mm -hmm. able to advance science, they were able to ad advance their thought processes. Like the, the things that they were working on did become hyper advanced for the time period but you go you can go a little too far with them with the medical field stuff of practicing on living patients without consent you know there's a lot that really dives into this and then of course rapture falls due to civil war within the community where you know our wonderful leader andrew ryan wanted to control everything that was coming in and out of Rapture. He wanted to have full say over it all, which on the surface might seem like communism or something that he was trying to avoid with the creation of Rapture. But when you really think about it, he was just pursuing his own self-interests. So he was following objectivism to his, I guess, quota, his standards, it might not be yours, but that's kind of the whole point of objectivism now, isn't it? Yes. So <laughs> <laughs> with that, Rapture does fall. 
And then our main protagonist decides to, or doesn't decide to, he's forced to go through all of Rapture and kind of unravel the story as it goes on. Now, in Bioshock 2, we come back to Rapture about eight years later, and it is destroyed. All those wonderful scenes, all that Art Deco, beautiful like architecture is demolished, degrading, covered in mold, buried in water. Like There's a lot going on here. And there is a new mindset that is coming out of Rapture itself. And that's the idea of collectivism. Now, collectivism is the exact opposite of objectivism. It is the idea that you do good for the many opposed to the one. And collectivism is basically the start of communism, which makes sense, right? Good for the many, right? All that good stuff. Well, supposedly good stuff. But what I love about the Bioshock series is that it takes these two ideas and really pits them up against each other. Like, what a great example of a sequel to a game uh, to really, like, battle against the first one, right? We talked about such a heavy topic of objectivism. And then now with the second one, we go to something polar opposite, but we're still flung into a world that's kind of familiar, but is changing around us as well. And this game came out only three years after the first title. Now, for some people, they, three years seems like a normal amount of time or probably too long. But in video game history, like that's pretty quick for a sequel. And it's a sequel that a lot of people probably didn't think that they wanted to have at the time because they were still so wrapped up in the first one. And then... Lo and behold, to keep that trend going, we get Bioshock 2. And then a little bit later, we get Bioshock 3, and everybody hates the series again. But (laughs) that's a whole other thing to kind of like go down. And I I really love the juxtaposition here, the contrast between these two games of these battling ideals. Because for many, playing the first one and seeing this whole idea of objectivism in its all of its quote-unquote glory you want to think more like a collectivist. You would think that, hey, if they, you know, just got together and thought about things and maybe came together as a group and decided on how to handle these situations, they would have done better with them. Well, Bioshock 2 does that, but then shows the extremes of that and how that could be a negative effect as well, which is pretty amazing, actually. So... What's your take on Bioshock 2? What, like, how do you feel about that? Returning as a big daddy this time, trying to save your little sister. I thought that was probably the most interesting thing in the beginning. Um, I wasn't expecting the character to be a big daddy because that's just really random. Uh, I remember when this game came out, I felt like a lot of people hated on it. Like, I remember hearing like people saying, like, oh, this is a terrible sequel. Like, Bioshock is done, you know, that's why when Infinite came up, people were all surprised because I remember a lot of people didn't like this game, and I never really understood the hate it got. I feel like a lot of people didn't like that you were a big daddy, even though it's, like, kind of cool. You have a drill arm, like, your powers are kind of cool. Like, it's just, yeah, it's different. It almost, it. I mean, you're in the same world, but you have a different character you play as. Well, you get to play as whole... something that was destroying you the whole time the first game. 
And then yeah. now you get to be that ultimate power. That's pretty cool. It's a nice twist. Yeah. And I liked how it was able to explore a whole different, you know, ideology in the same area. Like it really, they did a really good job connecting the two and really kind of showing you the good sides and bad sides of all these different ideologies, you know, like obviously this goes out in a different way in, you know, a third game, but as of for two, like I, I played a lot of bits and pieces over the years. Um, I never like sat down and just played through it all like over like a course of a week or something. It's always been like, Oh, I'll play like a couple, couple hours here. or I'll play a little bit here. But I remember I got, I got a couple hours in and I really like enjoyed what I played. Um, and I, yeah, I never understood the hate of God. And nowadays when we were, when we were looking stuff up for this, it seems like only recently people started talking about how much they like this game. And it's weird that I don't know where people kind of like flipped their switch on this, but I mean, that's kind of been happening for a lot of other games where people are realizing like, reviewers were usually pretty terrible uh reviewing games mm-hmm. back in the day but seeing as this was only three years after the original is interesting it, it i think it's really well done i think it was just popular to hate right that, that was a yeah. very common thing to do back then it it, where it, yeah like if some if a couple reviewers say this game sucks then all of a sudden everyone's like oh that game's garbage blah blah even if they never played it they start, you know, like uh, quoting crap from the reviewers to say things are bad. Same thing happens with movies all the time where people can say a movie's utterly garbage. And then 10 years later, they come back around and they're like, oh, that movie's a cult classic. It's amazing. It's such a like inspirational movie or it's so ahead of its time. Ahead of its time is one of their like pet peeve phrases here <laughs> because it just means that we didn't think about what we were saying when we were reviewing it in the first place. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's kind of, I don't know, it's really ironic that this game now is becoming more of a fan favorite. Whereas, like you said, yeah, like when it first came out, there was a lot of hatred for this game. And three was a complete shock. I I did not expect to see three. And when I did, I was like, oh, my God, this is beautiful. And then playing it, I was like, uh, never mind. <laughs> it's not that great. <laughs> <laughs> this one, yes, that one is okay to probably not enjoy. Maybe in 10 years, we'll all be talking about Bioshock Infinite and all of its glory and how amazing it was to see that whatever that was on the screen but anyway <laughs> but I, I i do really like the idea that you get to play as a big daddy i think that's really cool the shift in power is really interesting and the it is kind of weird but it does remind you that you're playing a video game right where you play it as a big daddy that doesn't necessarily have free will it has one central uh, like goal in mind and that's to keep their little sister alive and that's that's really it there is nothing else to the big daddy and they were able to actually give life to this character like yeah there was a little bit more free will but at the same time when you think about it like you are playing a video game even if it is kind of open worldy where you can explore a lot when you're following a story you're kind of on rails like there goes your free will you have to continue with the progression in order to get the next thing 
So it's it's almost like you're it's kind of weird. Like you're playing a big daddy that has a very like one set mind where, yeah, you can do a couple other things. But no matter what, you have to come back to the central goal of protecting the little sister where the same thing is with gaming. You know, like you can run around, you can go explore a little bit. But if you want to open up that other world or that other room and go into there, now you have to progress with the story and continue on that way. Same thing with the mindset of the big daddy. So I thought that was kind of like a cool potential connection there that maybe the developers thought about, or maybe we're I'm spouting just a bunch of nonsense like an art critic. <laughs> but who knows? It could be one of those things. But the idea of collectivism, I think, is it's it's been it's been beaten down, right? Like we've we've talked about it so much, especially with the idea of like the Nazis and communism, like everybody knows those terms of Nazis and communism. But the idea of collectivism in a whole is not necessarily a bad thing. But everything that you if you take things to like a certain extreme, they are going to go negatively, no matter what. And what I found the most interesting is actually that collectivism came about when the idea of individualism or, you know, like following your own interests, your own individual uh, ideals came about. Like these two ideas came about at exactly the same time in almost the same paper, too, written by Jean-Jacques Rousseau. And he wrote The Social Contract which he, you know, he argued that individual finds his true self or his true being and freedom only in submission of the general will of the community. So it is kind of trippy. I, I don't know. I, I really like that idea, though, that with one idea comes the other. You can't have one without the other one. They are two sides of the same coin. And that's kind of the beauty of these two games together is that they are showing that you cannot have objectivism without collectivism and vice versa those two go together there's always going to be the people who oppose you in a different way and now a lot of people might not know Jean-Jacques Rizot as well but I'm sure a lot of people might remember the name Karl Marx or the idea of Marxism which was named after Karl Marx go figure right but he fought for the idea or he was the philosopher behind the idea of collectivism which then led to communism and he opposed Jean-Jacques Rousseau's uh, idea of individualism um, in his uh, in his writings in was it the contribution to the critique of political economy where he says it is not men's consciousness uh, which determines their being but their social being which determines their consciousness so with that, it's kind of like a little convoluted, maybe, but it's not your individual self that makes you who you are. It is your social situations and the, the social standings that make you who you are. It's kind of the idea there. So if you, you know, give back to society, if you are contributing in such ways, then you're going to be better off for it, right? So it's kind of that idea of giving back to the masses or having the working class given what they are owed 
versus making one person rich in the company, you know, those kind of ideas. And on paper, it all sounds great. Everybody gets about the same stuff. You earn what you make and all that stuff, right? There isn't somebody Mm -hmm. that is above you in a high CEO position that's going to be making a crap ton of money off of the hard work that you do, because why is that fair? But of course, (laughs) you can take these things and run with them and go to very extreme points and just kind of make it a really dangerous thing, like we've seen with how communism can be an evil, evil thing or be construed as evil, right? That doesn't necessarily mean that it 100% is, but, you know, that's just how things go, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, I remember uh, reading in an interview they had with developers, and they were saying how Sophia Lamb... Uh, her character is based off of Marx and uh, John Stuart Mill. Mm. And as interesting because I used to hear people be like, oh, well, this game's all about like altruism, right? Like, mm. or I think one of the first characters you meet is about that. And it made me think like, you know, it's interesting how they really put collectivism kind of mixed with altruism even though like they're not really the same thing but they weirdly in this game kind of go together i don't know there was some interesting stretches in this game i felt that they they shot for i feel like those ideas are like cousins yeah yeah they they're kind of relatable but kind of not you know it's um it's interesting because that idea like usually has such like a religious or spiritual kind of like motivation behind it, mm-hmm. you know, like doing something for, you know, your God or something. Um, and I feel like we see this more in Bioshock Infinite where, you know, there's no gods, no masters, you know, in Rapture. But in Columbia, you know, there's this heavy like religious undertone racist tone like Mm -hmm. it's interesting how the ideas kind of changed um and i felt like you know the progression through the three games like you really start seeing them play with different themes and i feel like two really had that good mixture and that's why like i'm the more and more i read into this i'm like it's really fascinating like how much philosophy and intelligence was really put into this game series. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell they put a lot of work behind it. And actually Sophia Lamb's character, I would say is very interesting in this idea where she is the embodiment of Marx, but Marx to the extreme, just like Andrew Ryan was the embodiment of Ayn Rand, but to the Mm -hmm. extreme. And you mentioned the idea of it being kind of like religious undertones. That's kind of what we usually see with collectivism. And it's 100% true. Like every cult that you see has the idea of collectivism behind it, where they're, we're doing everything for the community, where we're doing it for ourselves. It's bringing us up. But at the same exact time, there's always a ringleader. There's always the one person that is actually profiting in the background. And that's kind of unfortunately what happens with collectivism, which is really interesting to think about because it goes against everything that collectivism is about 
right? And Sophia Lamb is looked at as this religious icon. She is looked at as a savior of rapture and people flock to her. And like, it's kind of funny, you know, Sophia Lamb, right? They, they flock to her to actually get salvation, to be saved, to eat, to just survive rapture itself. But whenever it comes time to, Sophia will just kill <laughs> or just get rid of people for no real apparent reason, but with the underlying tone of it was for this community. It was better. Mm-hmm. It was better for us this way. So we had to do it, which is a very like psychopathic way of thinking about things where, oh, we don't have enough food today. Well, that's OK. We'll just kill a couple of mouths and then we will have enough food. It's all for the greater good. Right. And like that, that there is that idea of the greater good that it, it always scares the crap out of me every time I hear it in media or whatever it may be that there's just all those like kind of really creepy undertones that you don't matter anymore. You are a number. That's it. You are just someone there to supply more food to the table. And once you're unable to do that, then you are no longer needed by this community. And I've never fully understand how people can fall into that idea of like extreme collectivism. But it's, it happens a lot more than we think, right? It's 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 a hard one to fall into. Maybe people just want to feel wanted. Or yeah, like they people want to feel like they're helping people even if they're not really helping. I don't know, it's I agree with you. It's like it's weird that it's still a thing to this day. Yeah, I guess people just want to feel like they are worth something and they can equate that worth to the food on the table, to the job well done or whatever it was asked for by their, you know, master, Sophia Lamb in this instance. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> I don't know, it's it's one of those things, I, I guess it really takes like certain extremes because uh, like looking at it from our point of view right now, where we are not in a society in which that's even a thought. Like we we know that we don't have to fall into that trope in order to survive. We can find a way to get food on our tables. We can kind of find a way to pay our rent, right? All those things because of our society. But in a time where those fa- basic foundations become shaken, where when you look at Rapture eight years after the fact, after the Civil War, or multiple years after the Civil War, but eight years after the first game, like it is ruins so where else are they going to go these people fled society to go out here they're on their own no one knows they're there so they have to find a better way to survive and a lot of the people i'm sure are terrified that if they went back to normal society one they won't be able to do what they want to do anymore right that's kind of the whole goal of them being out there and two they would probably be prosecuted by society itself for the actions that they've done can you imagine some of the medical doctors that were in rapture going back to society and having to explain what they studied and how they got about to those theories they would be locked up in jail and a lot of people so they they don't really have anywhere else to go so through that desperation comes seeking a solution and that solution and the time 
that made the most sense that was gaining traction was Sophia Lamb and the idea of collectivism and working together, quote unquote, working together uh, to keep Rapture alive as long as possible. But you can see from the scenery itself, which I think is a great like usage of scenery, of the architecture, that no matter how hard they try to keep things going, it's still decaying around them. And there is no great salvation at the end. No matter what, Rapture is going to fall. They're just prolonging it by doing what they're doing. But it makes sense because no one's going to take the quick way out or most people won't. Right. Like if you saw that the world's going to end in two years, are you just going to off yourself right now or are you going to watch the slow decay of the world? You're probably going to watch the slow decay of the world nine times out of ten. So it's kind of I feel like it's kind of that same situation there, like through desperation breeds a need for a solution. That solution, at least for now, is collectivism. If there was another idea that came up, I'm sure they would flock to that, too, if there was any traction or if it made any sort of sense to them. In what way do you think like collectivism would work? Like at least like say in the rapture setting, right? Like if there was a way where it didn't fall into the dark side that it does in that city, like if what would what would they have done to make it like work you know because i mean that place is kind of utopia you think something like that would work but i mean also i feel like no utopia is really a utopia that's an interesting question because it's hard to really imagine a place where collectivism 100 percent works yeah but i think where they went wrong and where a lot of things go wrong with this idea is that there's one person in power there's a head, there's a leader, and ultimately leader has final say in votes and things like that. And we do that in all society. I mean, we have a president that has final say over things. It's the same idea. Like we feel even if you're like playing a game with the, when you're a kid in a playground and you have like a team of six people, you're going to look towards one person in particular for more answers. Even though everyone's just on a team, no one's been appointing captain, nothing like that. It's just our natural instinct to seek out a leader in that situation. And I think that's our big issue here and with making this work, is that we have that mindset of wanting a leader, of wanting someone mm. to make that final say for us. And I think that's just human nature. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I just think that it's something that we can't avoid no matter what situation we're in. So that, that's why it would ultimately fail because while, yes, it's masqueraded as this is for the good of everyone, it really is just one person deciding what's good for everyone. It's not the community collectively deciding that this was the right choice for everyone with a vote, right? The whole democratic society idea, which we have in our societies, but you know things can get vetoed they can be overridden the president can just say nope like i'm going against everything that you vote for and we're doing this because we have to right like 
you know, they're not going to do that if they don't want to be reelected or if they want to be black or blacklisted from politics for the rest of their life, of course. But there are those who do go against the majority votes, especially in the House of Senate. That happens all the time. But like I said, we we want a leader. We want someone to follow. We want someone to have that final say when we're too broken up on a decision to make one. And I think that's what ultimately leads to the failure itself. But that's a really good question. What do, what do you think? What do you think we could have done differently? I think you kind of nailed it, honestly. Like, it, it, I thought about this before, like, you know, more so in the sense, like, like, I, I tried to picture, like, say, rapture with different, like, political ideas and stuff. And, like, because the collectivism is, you know, communism for the most part. I was thinking, like, in rapture, how would it look? Mm. right like it it has one person kind of overruling the area right like andrew ryan or any of that like it has that one person in power and it it honestly seems like in a situation like that where it's totally separated and isolated from the rest of the world where people do have like no interference of like say different ideas right like, I feel like if all the people there, well, most of the people came from outside. So that's, mm-hmm. I was going to say, it'd be a little bit easier if all these people are just born there and have lived there their whole life and they don't understand any other, like, ideology. Mm-hmm. I was like, maybe that could work. Like, I'm thinking almost like the uh, vaults and fallout where people have lived there for decades and decades and they don't even you know remember really the outside world and i was thinking oh rapture could be the same thing but that would obviously take like a generation to get through to maybe Mm -hmm. where ideas weren't really brought in but i think in a situation like that i feel like we we just see the same problem that we see nowadays with it where now you know the elected official that one person is going to have too much power and it'll just go to their head you know Mm -hmm. where instead of looking out for the best of others it would just take too much from everybody and not really show a benefit you know like in these kind of like utopias you would want everyone to really be you know equal but equal in the sense where everyone has help and you can tell in rapture where it's so big not everyone was treated equally Mm -hmm. and it's yeah it makes me think like you know it 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 wouldn't work yeah at least there you know like the ideology in the first game makes a little more sense with the setting but yeah it's it's fascinating because i never really thought about like any kind of like ideology like this in a game, mm-hmm. you know, like there's times I'll play games and I won't think about like the political stance or anything like that on it. And I won't think of like, Oh, what if they did this instead? How would it change? You know? And it's doing it with this series. I'm like, Oh, this is, this makes me kind of want to go through a bunch of other games and kind of do that too. You know, yeah. like, how could you change things so it'd be better? Like it's it's cool because then you can feel like you can relate it to real world things and be like, oh well, you know, if this worked in my fictional world, could it work in my real world? And it's just I don't know. It's it's really cool because I feel like it just keeps going and going to an extent. Yeah, it, there's a really cool thing about like 
games, not just video games, but tabletop games too, in which people do that actually. And there, there's a point I want to go back to as well on the idea of what can come from maybe a extra generation being in that utopia that might not know about the outside world. Uh, but before I touch on that real quick, the there's some uh, authors out there that actually use games to create their storylines, to play situations out, to know how things would actually happen in their books. Like uh, Neil Gaiman even has been quoted on saying that mm. he's uh, created characters and then played them in D&D to know how they would react in certain situations. So why can't we make a fictitious government or social structure play it out in a certain scenario with like 10 to 12 characters, maybe a couple different parties to see what's going on, how different people think, and just see if that works. Like, how does this, how does this mesh? Is this a feasible option? And I think that like, it's looking at the world and fast forward whenever you're playing games, because you can speed through things, right? Like a war doesn't need to last 10 years. It can last 20 minutes. Like we can have changing of government, we can have uh, uprisings and things like that in the matter of seconds. You know, like a, in D and D, a round of combat is six seconds, right? In real time. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, like we can have sped up versions of the world and test out different theories, test out different ideals, and test out different philosophies, even in uh, like in a few sessions that would take an entire lifetime to do in the real world, which would be really interesting. That's kind of a cool idea. I like that idea. Imagine like a collective gaming experience. I know this is going away from Bioshock, but imagine like an MMO or something. I understand that there was a game that was going to try and do this kind of thing, but imagine if you had a game world, right? And, you know, enough people played it where choices could be life altering in the game. Like, say, you know, this kingdom is going to use this rule and it's going to change things. Right. And people had to vote mm -hmm. and like you could maybe mimic this game world to be somewhat similar to the real world and see you know, take an example of all these people that want one thing to change in their country, put it in the place in this game, and watch it unfold. Now, it doesn't have to be the person actually plays a character in the world, but, you know, imagine like an AI played game where you just make all these like really fine detail choices and it plays it out for you. Hmm. And it'd be interesting to see like, you know, say you did some life-altering thing in the real world say like you did an ai generated world of the u.s you know instead of having world war ii ever happen you know and it mm -hmm. would kind of like possibly play out to what the ai think might happen at least say 10 years after mm -hmm. when it would have happened it doesn't have to be all the way up until now but it'd be cool if there was a way to generate ideas for outcomes before we actually do things right like instead of just playing thought police in our mind where it's like oh how is this choice going to change us what if we had some kind of artificial way of testing what it would be like it would be interesting to see if things are inevitable as well 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, is the Civil War inevitable? Was that going to happen regardless of the fact? Are, yeah. are these wars inevitable? Were they going to happen regardless of what we did? If we if we changed a couple things that led to those wars, did it just happen later? Right, like that that would be really cool to see. I, I'm curious of how that would work out, how that could be managed. But I would love to see something like that. That'd be amazing. Huh. I like that idea a lot. Um, but yeah, let's make a game. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. Actually, that'd be interesting to try and do for a We Make a Game series. Try and figure out how to make that work. But uh, real like. real quick, going back to the false utopia ideas, um, there are some examples in media as well of seeing the second or third generation that have been living in this utopian society where that's all they know. But what seems to happen a lot, or at least what's speculated to happen, is um, once they find out about the outside world, once they find out about some extra freedoms that they could potentially have that they might not have in the society that they grew up in, then there's a rebel from underneath, right? It's no longer the issue of the ringleader being the one in power and causing all the issues. It is now everybody in society realizing and kind of waking up a little bit to the fact that, oh, like we don't have 100% say in what we're doing. And there's actually a great anime that I would recommend to everybody. Uh, Even if you don't like anime, it's called Ergo Proxy. Mm -hmm. That is this 100% where it is a utopian society, a few generations into it where there is a council of elders, right? So they are, they are, it's not just one person. It is a council of people that are trying to make decisions for everyone. Uh, And they, at one point, the council decided to put cameras on everybody. So everybody has actual uh, butler robots that go around with them doing everything, but their camera feed is tapped into the council so the council can see what everyone is doing at all times. Now, to the first generation of people, this was really awkward. Nobody wanted that robot around because they were afraid of being spied on. But if you go five generations deep where you were born with this robot nanny and you die with that robot nanny next to your side, it's it's going to be the norm. You're not going to question it. So... That's kind of what happens, but then eventually something happens where, oh, they're, they were saying that the outside world is toxic and you can't go out there when that actually wasn't the case, and, and you know, chaos ensues. But it's a fantastical story, and it's a fantastic show, too. I definitely recommend it. But I think that's the other uh, side to the utopian society, how it could fail, potentially, is that glimpse of freedom from the outside world. Now, I think we can try and tackle Bioshock Infinite real quick because there's not really too much to it, in my opinion. Uh, There's been a couple interesting posts about it, but whenever it comes to actually diving into crazy or interesting philosophical ideas, I think Bioshock Infinite really missed the mark, unfortunately. Uh, I, I don't think it was able to live up to the standards that the other two games put in place. And it might be due to the fact that those two ideas went so well together. There really isn't a third idea that you can throw into the mix that's going to live cohesively between those two. Objectivism and collectivism counteract each other so well that a third one just doesn't really work. So what some people are saying that Bioshock Infinite did was that they are showing that 
while Rapture and Columbia are polar opposites, while, you know, one is in the sea, one is in the skies, there's kind of like the whole idea of the religious sect in Columbia, whereas in uh, Rapture, there is no religion, there's no God, there's no, it's only man, right? Those kind of ideas. So they, they feel like opposites, but the ideals are very similar. And it almost feels like the cycle is continuing. That even with the warnings of Rapture and how it could potentially go bad, we still repeat these actions over and over again. So some people might say that, that hence the name infinite as well, where this is an infinite loop. No matter what, there's going to be these difficulties that we have to deal with and that encroach in our, on our lives. So that's kind of a, a different way of looking at it. But they took it in such a weird direction with like the blank racism and, and things like that, where it was really hard to latch onto that game to really care what was going on. And I, I don't know, it is difficult. It's too much of a departure, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I like the flying city. Mm-hmm. I thought the floating city was cool. It was an interesting idea. I thought the whole riding rails around to different areas was kind of a cool idea. You don't really see flying cities in games too often, yet you think you would, because that just screams video game world. Yeah. Right? Floating city. And I thought it was interesting how they played on, like, the Founding Fathers with it, with Columbia, and it was an interesting choice. But like you said, the racism in it just felt really awkward. And I, I get what they were trying to do with it, right? But it just felt weird. Like some people say like, Oh, this game is, you know, not much different from the other ones. It's just a different viewpoint on it. Or some people really like infinite where they're like, well, it's such a cleaned and it's such a cleaned up version and it's, you know, bright and you can follow along easier. But for me, I didn't really get that. Like I beat it Mm -hmm. and i never played the dlc i know the the dlc burial at sea apparently really solved a lot of plot holes in the original bioshock because it takes place before the first game Mm. um and the idea that's brought up at the end of bioshock infinite i won't spoil it in case anybody still wants to play it it it's so weird and it it brings it it <laughs> I'm still flabbergasted by it honestly <laughs> to this day that I'm just like I it was something I didn't expect for better or for worse you know it, it was a cool concept and I felt like it was a concept that wasn't really touched on or thought about until recently honestly you never really heard about that until maybe like a year or two ago and every thing in media is about it mm-hmm. but to me the themes just i didn't get into it i felt like it felt more like a typical game versus the first two bioshocks that obviously were you know felt like games but they had a point that it was trying to push across Mm -hmm. and i didn't feel that infinite and i understand that infinite is a big departure from what they originally wanted to do like the original trailer everything about infinite 
looked so different than what we got. And I'm, I would love to see the original. And I remember hearing that some people were saying, oh, like, you know, there would be some kind of like clarification on in stuff. Haven't heard anything. You know, I heard that they're making possibly a new Bioshock, or at least that company is making a game. Hmm. So I'm interested. You know, I'm I'm willing to look past Infinite. Like it Infinite wasn't a bad game. It just wasn't as good as the first two. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Like I gameplay wise, it it was okay. If it was a standalone, you know? it would probably be fine. But because yeah. it's going with these other two games that were such standouts for their time, it has a lot to live up to. And that's like mm-hmm. really the hard thing to do about like trilogies as well. Like you're always going to get compared to them. Like there's very few games that can continue on a chain and still be relatable and still live up to the standards of the first couple games. Like there's always going to be a couple drop offs here and there, right? Like even look at the Devil May Cry series. The Devil May Cry series is great, but if you play two, it's garbage in my opinion, right? Yeah. And like four is okay. And then it's right. But like the series is still fun. You didn't like four at uh, four's fun. It just felt easy, like a little too easy to me. Comparatively oh, to like, DMC. Oh, yeah. DMC is like me. It, it kind of fell off. But like three was fantastic. One was amazing. But it's there's like a certain expectation whenever you start doing franchises like that, where like look at God of War. God of War one, two, three, like solid games. Like they're all mm-hmm. they're all good games. So it is really difficult to do that. But the thing that they kept true to was they kept true to the original concept of it throughout all of the titles. Whereas with this one, Infinite went a little weird and went kind of far. But as a standalone game, probably would have loved it. But I had some, you know, I had some expectations going into mm-hmm. Infinite because playing Bioshock 1 and 2. I think that was the ultimate downfall of it unfortunately but i would be really curious to see if anybody creates like uh bioshock 3 forget the first one right like rewrite a canon kind yeah. of idea that would be pretty cool and i'd be down for it i'd try it out i mean what's it gonna hurt <laughs> to see if we get the creator's original intent like, i think that would be the best option honestly for the franchise i'm just wondering would we if they make another bioshock i don't know if we could do another one rapture You know, I'm trying to think, like, I feel like they've kind of explored everything they could. Granted, Rapture always looked huge in, like, the videos and stuff when they, like, swim around the outside. But I'm like, what more could they do? And I'm not saying go back to Columbia either. Like, maybe they come up with a totally different environment. But I'm like, what what would they tackle? What if, if, like, Rapture comes home, right? Like the people of Rapture hmm. from two, those they go back to the mainland because they can't self-sustain anymore. Hmm. And then now you have the whole situation going on there where there's like battles for like certain continents or whatever. Maybe that could be kind of interesting. Like then you kind of see it, the meshing of two ideals colliding with each other, like modern day in America versus collectivism. Right. Like it'd be the modern day fight Mm. against communism, but it would be interesting. And there were people there would be people who flock to the the rapture mindset. So that could be something kind of cool. 
or they make themselves known to outside society to try and get, you know, refuge or whatever it may be, and then start infiltrating government in that sense. Like, it could be something interesting. That'd be, that'd be interesting. Like, say, like, it would take place in Rapture, but years after the event, so it's kind of healed, and people from the outside world have maybe come in, like a new flock of people or something. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to kind of that would that would be kind of a cool yeah way to kind of evolve the series you know yeah i'd be curious to see that that'd be fun but needless to say these games have definitely made an impact on the gaming community they have done so much and they have given us something kind of amazing they've taught us something they've shown us that you can put in some really heavy hitting ideas some heavy philosophical ideas and still make a fun game behind it it doesn't have to be an educational game where we're just learning about ayn rand right and karl marx the whole time but they have a way of doing it where it's now relatable to the players it's something that they can easily digest understand and still enjoy and then think about it years later like these games came out how long ago now what years did they come out and we're still talking about them right like they're they're still relevant they're still in our minds they like people are still flocking back to them like i know people who that absolutely love this series one person in particular that we used to work with he was obsessed with the bioshock series to this day where he even said that he has replayed bioshock one and two at least twice a year every year since they've come out so it's kind of crazy to think about but yeah this is this is important i think that more games really need to try and push this envelope if you're not going to be 100 percent innovative with your idea and you want to do something uh with some meaning behind it maybe look into philosophy philosophy has some great stories and some great icons to create games about or to get reference from and it's always 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 going to lead to interesting questions at the end of your game regardless of the actual gameplay itself but anyway with that i think that's gonna do it for us this week uh thank you guys so much for listening in and we will talk to you guys next week with the next set of games but until then bye for now